today I'll be teaching this same text, really focused on verses 28 through 38 of the text, and, uh, and, and bringing a, ter- a, a, a sermon entitled, Warnings to a Pastor, or Pastors. And so we're going to specifically look at the dangers the man of God must protect himself and the flock from. But as you're getting ready for, to read the text, I want to talk with you about something that the elders have wanted to communicate to you about for some time. The elders and this church were kind enough to grant myself uh, a sabbatical from the end of May 2020 through December 2020. And this time allowed me to examine my life to see what patterns of sin might have developed, to rest, you know, from being in ministry since 19 years old, so over 20 years of ministry, to love my family with intentionality in those months, and to think about the next 50 years or so of ministry, I pray, at Grace Fellowship. This time was a great refreshment for my soul, and I don't, I don't take it lightly. I want to thank all of you for praying for me my family giving me space to rest. I want to thank you for supporting the other leaders here at Grace Fellowship, the other pastors, as they covered me during the sabbatical. It's even more amazing that all of this took place during a worldwide pandemic. (laughs) That tells you a little about the steadiness of the men that lead this church. You know, uh, they granted me sabbatical in May. The pandemic broke out in March, and they didn't change their plans. This time was also key to the development of our fellowship. The truth is that Grace Fellowship, like so many churches, had become overly dependent on the gifts, personality, and charisma of one pastor. And it's easy to settle into this pattern because I'm your founding pastor. (laughs) 17 years we've been together now since the day we started. But the truth is that if we allow that to become the lasting pattern of the church at Grace Fellowship, then we are not living out the plurality of elder, overseer, pastors that we see modeled for us in the scripture. The church will suffer now and in the future if it doesn't live within the boundaries of the paradigm of leadership given by the Bible. The elders of Grace Fellowship are wise. They want to protect the church And they want to protect me from any harm that could come from an imbalance. So while I was on sabbatical, the other leaders were able to fully exercise the gifts that God has given them. And to lead the church and to help it to grow. And by God's grace and the hard work of the men, the church has grown. All the elders have been so key to make this happen. But I especially want to recognize the labor of Adam and Corey over the last year. While they're on staff here and have not been affirmed as full pastors at this time, in this juncture, but they've worked as pastors, no doubt, among you. They're the best co-laborers and friend that anybody could have in this calling. Because of the work that God did in me and the church during the sabbatical, I've been able to transition back to full-time work here at the church. On January 1st of this year, with great joy, I returned to the work that I love to do. Let me state again that this time away was not so that I could transition and leave Grace Fellowship. Some of you thought this was a resignation, I'm sure, at this point. Because some of you have it convinced in your mind that's the only reason I would have stepped away. That's not true. I had no intentions of ever leaving Grace Fellowship. 
Our family hopes to serve you and the people of this community for many years in the future. But some have questioned about rotation of preaching since I've been out and I've returned. From the beginning, Grace Fellowship, basically one guy, myself, has preached 48 to 52 times a year. This is what the church has seen as a pattern for 17 years. So I know it's a little shocking for me not to be preaching every single Sunday. This is not a temporary thing, this rotation. This is part of the vision that we have for Grace Fellowship. It's what we want to grow in. This year, I'll be preaching at least half of the sermons here at Grace, by God's grace. And the other men will be covering and preaching and laboring in those other weeks. This allows us to work together as a team to shepherd the flock that God has entrusted to us here through God's word. But it also allows us to work as a team as we shepherd the flock in many other ways. Things like planning weekly services and home groups, training up new believers and new leaders, counseling individuals, couples, families, encouraging and supporting our missionaries, teaching, evangelizing, giving overall vision and direction to the need, which is needed in the church, building important ministry partnerships with other like-minded churches in our community, and praying for you all. So when I'm not in the pulpit... I'm not playing golf. Any pastor on staff of any church can tell you that there's no shortage of work to be done in ministry. Just to give you a glimpse, on an average day, I make or receive at least 10 phone calls that are pastoral in nature and carry on about 20 text chains with the people of this church. And I do all of that while studying and preparing and counseling and all the other things that goes on in the ministry here. And I love it. I absolutely love it. I love when you call me and you tell me the things that are going on and that God's doing in your life. I, I love picking up to hear about the gospel issues that you're wrestling through. I love that your pastor is the one you call when you're hurting or some tragedy has struck you in this life. God's called me and the other men in this church that are pastors to do this work. And having a plurality of called men to work alongside one another and serve Jesus beautiful bride relentlessly is a glorious thing. It's a good thing, and it's wise of God to do it this way. This biblical model will keep Grace Fellowship from accidentally fostering or becoming enamored with a celebrity pastor. And you say, well, you're not R.C. Sproul or John Piper, and I'm not. <laughs> but I am that in this place, and I recognize it. And, I, and I, as, I, as I recognize it, I shrink from it. That's not what we're called to be, celebrities of some kind. Pastors are just like you, gifted and called by God to do the work of the ministry, together, as a team. This biblical model allows us to have a robust preaching ministry with styles and voices and passions that present themselves in the pulpit Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. The biblical model also kills any notion of a hierarchy of pastors within the church. If there's one thing we will never move away from here at Grace Fellowship, it's the desire to tirelessly pursue and be aligned with the Word of God. We believe this move is a step in that direction. The elders hope you know that we love you and we intend to continue to grow in every way over the next years. So, 
if you have any questions about it, any concerns at all, I'm always available. The other men are always available to answer any questions or thoughts you might have about it. And I appreciate those who have shared their concerns, shared their thoughts. It's, it's good that we talk about it. You should never be afraid to talk to us about it, okay? And so the door is always open. Literally, the guys can tell you, most of the time my door is standing wide open. So you can come in anytime. And we can drink a cup of coffee and we can talk. If you like strong coffee. If you don't like strong coffee, made really dark and not meant to have creamer or sugar in it, get your own. They sell it other places, but we don't make it here. Now let's read this text together. And I want to focus in, just to get our minds focused on verse 28. We're starting in the middle of the paragraph, and we're going to go to the end. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, who himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, Paul knelt down and prayed for them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that he would not see their face or they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. As we prepare to look at the warning given to elders in the local body, I want to state clearly that the Bible is unequivocal in teaching us the leadership model for the church. And that leadership model is a plurality of elders. Many in our day try to say that eldership and the plurality of eldership in the local church is one model of church leadership. But that kind of a statement makes it sound like there's another model that the Bible shows us. The reality is, this is not the case. The Bible shows us one model of leadership, Old Testament and New Testament, for the people of God. Alexander Strout writes in his book, Biblical Eldership, this bold but true statement. Listen to what he said. Shared leadership should not be a new concept to a Bible-reading Christian. I want to stop there. One of the reasons that people don't know the truths I've been teaching the last couple of weeks, and I'm not fussing, I'm just saying an honest truth, is because the people of God in our day are biblically illiterate. Probably as illiterate as we have been as a people since the dark ages before the printing press and the Bible was put into the common vernacular of people. I just want to challenge you. If your Bible lays untouched day after day after day, God himself wrote those words through the inspired authors. 
and gave them to you. And men and women gave their lives to put it in your language. So when you leave it laying there and you choose the local going best-selling novel, just understand that as good as that book may be, it can never save your soul. There ain't but one book that does that. And I challenge you. The reason this is a novel concept to so many in the church that think that there's a CEO model or there's some other model of single pastorhood or hierarchy or different roles in the church called elder, bishop, and pastor and all those things and priest and father and all that other stuff is because people have not picked up their Bibles and read them. Strop brings this out. Bible reading Christians know this. Shared leadership is rooted in the Old Testament institution of the elders of Israel and in Jesus' founding of the apostolate. It is a highly significant and often overlooked fact that the Lord did not appoint one man to lead the church. He personally appointed and trained 12 men. Jesus Christ gave the church plurality of leadership. Not only this, but the New Testament refers to the plurality of leadership in every local church context within the book of Acts and in the New Testament. There is not another method ever given to us through God's word than the one exhibited in this church and many churches like it. A plurality of pastors. Timothy Wittmer in his excellent book, The Shepherd Leader, Achieving Effective Shepherding in Your Church, says, The biblical material makes it clear that the heart of the work of the elder is to shepherd the flock. He goes on to point out that there's a necessity for church leadership to be in a plurality so that all of the work can be done, all of the work can be done effectively by the men. Parity is a word that is used essentially as a synonym for equality. In discussion of the eldership, it merely means with respect to authority and accountability, elders are on the same level with one another. So from the scripture, we understand that the elders of the church are called to work as a team and without any hint of a hierarchy. Therefore, we must always understand that there is only one true good shepherd, only one chief shepherd of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the flock. And as he leads the sheep to their eternal home, he has called and gifted some men to give themselves to the care of the flock as under-shepherds. But I think we forget that there's not a hierarchy often, and we place instead of a chief shepherd in Jesus' model, we have a chief shepherd in one guy in the local church. And it always leads to bad things for the man, and it always leads to bad things for the church. There are no exceptions to this. None. Jesus Christ will not share the power given only to him by his Father with anyone. With anyone. We might say there is a place for celebrity culture. And that celebrity is Jesus Christ. The local church is made up of many families. And each of those families is headed by a shepherd. That's how the Bible shows fatherhood. The father is the shepherd of his home. 
And those little flocks grow under the leadership of their father. Dad, you should be leading your little flock through the word of God. Take them to the green pastures of God's word. Feed them the, still, the, the green pasture and give them the pure water that only comes through the spirit. Exhort them to live their lives to the glory of God. Preach the gospel in your home all the time. Apply the biblical discipline necessary in your own life and their lives that we all might attain to the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. Inside the local church, there are a lot of little bitty flocks that come together with their shepherds each Sunday to join together, to worship together. So the church, in a biblical context, is made up of little flocks being led to join together under the care of their fathers, their elder in their home so that they can all worship the good shepherd together. Can I just tell you this? Dad, if you're not the most excited person in your home to come to worship, you need to become the most excited person in your home to come to worship. Your children are watching you. And what you deem valuable, they will deem valuable. More times than not. What you get excited about, they get excited about. So many in our culture have their kids so excited, and I can be guilty of it, about so many things. And then the worship of God is talked about. And, and this is not against the women in this congregation at all or anywhere. But listen, it's shameful that when the Word of God is talking about and talked about in homes, that mainly it only comes from mom. That's not how God designed it. That's not what he did when he put the family together. He put it together with a leader. And that leader is to act like a shepherd over his sheep and to bring those sheep each Sunday to this larger fold with a bunch of other flocks to hear the word of God proclaimed from their chief shepherd so they can know his voice and believe in him and be saved. That's God's design. Several weeks ago, Ryan Limbaugh talked about this from this pulpit in, in Acts 17 when he taught us about the Berean believers in that message, he was helping us understand what it looks like to be bound to Scripture. He said we needed to have three areas of commitment in our life. Some of you remember what he said. What did he say? The row, the circle, and the chair. The row is where we come Sunday mornings and worship together. The, chair, the circle is the small group that we're part of. Our home groups feel this need here at Grace Fellowship. And, and then the chair is the one-on-one -on -one time that we have with God. And I believe that all three of these commitments with all, will also help us keep watch over the flock that has been entrusted to us by the Holy Spirit. Too many times, we as people think that it's the job of the pastors to watch after our home. And while that's true, it's secondarily true to the fact that the father in the home should be watching after his home and bringing them before God in worship. If all the members of the flock of God at Grace Fellowship were truly committed to the road, the circle, and the chair, I believe it would be less likely for wolves to get inside the flock. This is what Paul tells us in our text. The wolves from within are rising to lead away the sheep to destruction of their souls. And the flock will be attacked by fierce wolves that will try to come in from the outside, not sparing the sheep. 
So the elders must be alert and keep constant watch over the flock. There's three things I want to say about this. First of all, we can be certain that every church will face fierce wolves that seek to destroy the sheep within the flock. Verse 29 and 30, tell us plainly what we should expect. Paul says, I know, I know, not I think, it might, it could. He says, I know that after I depart, fierce wolves will come in among you. This is for every church, not just the church at Ephesus. This is not a local matter, it's a universal matter. The attack of the wolves is something that we know to expect, not only from this text, but also from John 10 when Jesus talks about being the good shepherd. He tells his followers in John 10, 11 through 12, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Jesus is predicting that the wolves will come and they will attack from outside and from inside the flock. And he's going to be willing to lay down his life for those sheep. And listen, good shepherds in this congregation are laying down their life every day to keep you safe from spiritual attack. And the same thing's happening in other godly churches. God is entrusting the leadership with the role to be shepherds like him. And this is exactly what under shepherds are called to do for the flock. Like the one chief shepherd before them who laid down his life to keep the wolves at bay. So does the pastor. Paul describes his ministry in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. You don't have to turn there. Listen to this. Now rejoice. This is what he said. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. The truth is that the distinguishing mark of a true pastor is that he willingly lays down everything and suffers whatever loss comes for the sake of the sheep that are entrusted to him by God, the Holy Spirit. Not because the sheep belong to him, but because they belong to and were purchased by the precious blood of God. At Calvary, he suffers that they may be protected against every predator that seeks to devour them. And, and listen, this is real. In the animal world, my, my, my uh, uncle is a shepherd. He has a sheep flock in Wyoming. And one year they were lambing the lambs. And they had a lot of lame lambs. If you know anything about lambs, often they're born awkwardly and their legs are twisted when they come out and their, their tendons are stretched. And so they're, they're literally, they gimp around. They can't walk. And rather than leave them in the pasture with a big flock, they brought them in, put them in his front yard and pinned it in. And he was caring for them. He was making sure they were taken care of away from the flock. Right next to his house. He was up with them and caring for them. But one night as he was sleeping, a mama grizzly bear had been watching his patterns. Up and down, he would come out in the night, go back and rest, come out in the night, go back and rest. And she knew when he would be asleep. And she brought her cubs down to his yard. And my aunt and uncle woke up to a horrific sight. And that sight was a yard full of beheaded lambs. That grizzly had come in and bitten off the heads of every one of those sheep. Those little lambs all died. Why? Why? Because they were vulnerable to attack and the predators were watching. 
and they were building a pattern. And once they knew the pattern, they came in the dark of night, stealthily killing all of them and leaving their little bodies. She was just training her cubs how to eat. That's just the way the world and the natural world works. They go, the predator goes after the weakest, goes after the stray, goes after the young so that then they can destroy the flock. But I want you to know not just that that happens in the natural world, but it's happening to some of you. You have exempted yourself from the protection of the flock, and you're trying to live a lone ranger life. And I want you to know that even though you think you're doing well, Satan is eating your lunch. Some of you have gone away from the things that you once were disciplined in, thinking that you don't, you know, you're there now. You've arrived. You don't need so much watch care. But the reality is we all need the care of the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, and his under-shepherds. So if you're here today and you're not a member of a local church, join us. Or join somewhere. But may I just say, join somewhere where the people know your name. Where they actually interact with you in small groups and in personal time. Where they can watch over your life and give an account for your soul. Hebrews 13 says that your pastor will stand before Jesus one day on your account. I've often wondered, how is that even possible for a large church? Pastors standing in front of Jesus saying, well, I didn't even know that person came to our church. How am I? No, no, you're accountable. You opened the door. You, you built a monstrosity. You were supposed to keep it up. They came to you. What about them? Spurgeon, speaking to one of his young pastoral students who was crying about how small his flock was, made this short Spurgeon-esque statement. He said, son, when we, the chef under-shepherds, stand before the great shepherd one day, I think we will all believe we have had enough sheep. I'm going to give account for you members of this church before Jesus The men who hold the eldership in this church will give account for you. But what are the wolves? What do they look like? How do we identify them? Well, the verse 30 tells us. Look at the text. Speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. It's not like they come in, these wolves, and immediately tear down the truth in front of the flock. I wish it was that easy. Often they look like sheep. And they look like under-shepherds. And they work their way all the way into the very center position of leadership in the church. Speaking twisted things. Predators are all about us. Stealthily gaining access to the flock and gaining the trust of the sheep. Why? Well, the language says they're coming in. They're coming in among us, which seems to push the idea of working their way into the flock so that they're not immediately noticed as wolves. The Bible's not worried about sheep in wolves' clothing, like dressed up like wolves, like some kind of game or prank. That, the Bible never talks about that, never warns us to look. Hey, there could be sheep that look like wolves. No, it says there's wolves that look like sheep, and they sneak in among the flock. And they want to lead them astray. 
It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? So many times I hear people talking about a leader that they thought was such a gifted preacher, so passionate for the Lord, it seemed. But after gaining the trust of the flock, these same men began to turn away the disciples from the truth. Usually it happens by slight degree of twisting the truth. One degree off in teaching leads to total destruction. The wolves in our day are turning us from the truth by teaching us many things. I've heard a renewed call to bring politics into the church, national politics. I believe this is a degree off from what God has called us to do as shepherds. Too many churches are about to be devoured with the culture around us because they think they're doing the right thing by bringing the politics into the church. And when you bring politics into the church, you have turned the sheep away from the gospel and the focus where it should be on Christ. Not only this, but many are turning away by tightening the regulations. We call this legalism. Adding to what God has said in his word for fear that someone might do the wrong thing. It began in the very beginning, did it not? Satan said, did God actually say that you would die? And what did she say? Well, God said, don't eat it or what? Touch it. Did God say don't touch it? That was a logical conclusion built on the fact that she wasn't supposed to eat it. So you shouldn't touch it because you're not eating it. And so by this liberal idea, Eve deceived, led Adam into sin. And Adam led her into sin by willingly sinning. And I call it liberal. You say, well, that's not liberal. It is. Because the conservative legalist among us and the liberal among us use the same technique, and that is to take one step away from the text and make a rule. We do it in our parenting all the time. Well, God says this, but this is even better. Let's do this. When you teach your kids that way, and they grow up, and at 19, they look at you and say, I do it that way because I think that's the best way. And you say, well, no, but God's word said, and they say, don't tell me that. We've been living by your rules a long time. They use your tools, and they don't always go your way. And scarier, some of them will grow up 19, 20, 21, they'll look just like you without a saved soul, and they'll be as up right and moral as you could imagine and they will bust hell wide open because you the shepherd of your flock and the shepherds of your corporate flock took one step just one step it happens by degree it doesn't happen by lurches look if somebody walked up in here and started denying the divinity of Jesus Christ and talking about how there was no trinity we'd boot that joker right out the back door would we not literally so Literally, we'd lay hands on that guy. But let somebody walk in and encourage good living without the gospel. And we'll give that guy a reward. We'll tell him how great he is. When what we should be saying is a good life without Jesus and a pagan life like Taylor confessed he had before he came to Jesus, both those lives are going to hell. And they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul said, don't let someone twist it. And turn you away from the truth. 
The wolves in our day are turning people away from within the flock, often pastors of churches standing in pulpits. These wolves are, I believe, identified in our passage by at least two characteristics. First, they twist the truth, which we've talked about in verse 30, but in verses 33 through 35, Paul gives a personal testimony about how he lived among the people. Did you think that was kind of weird when I was reading it? It felt like a jerk, didn't it, all of a sudden? He's talking about pay close attention. I, you know, I want you to know that I taught you for three years with tears, and then all of a sudden you start talking about, I didn't covet your silver, gold, or apparel, but I worked hard with these hands to provide for myself and those with me. Following the command of our Lord, which, by the way, that command's not written in the Gospels. It was, it was either given to Paul directly or it was, it was known among the disciples. It's more blessed to give than to receive, but it's definitely built on his teaching. That's what Jesus taught, right? So Paul gives this lecture about not coveting people's stuff. Why? Because wolves covet people's things. All wolves. Oh, they, they may make it look pious, and they may make it look good, but the reality is that they covet others' stuff. True shepherds do not do what they do for material gain. Now, the church is encouraged to support their pastors. Let's don't miss that one. My kids wanted me to say that. But the fact is that if a man of God will only do what he does for gain, he's probably not a man of God. Many of you remember when Grace Fellowship first started, and I'm shy about saying it, but I, I feel like I've got to say it. Many of you remember that when we started, there was, there was nothing to pay a pastor in this place. Nothing. And I got the blessing of working for J.C. Robinson, Barry Smith at the moving company. Day after day after day. Miss Helen's here. Day after day. Why? I, I mean, there was, there was opportunity to leave. There's plenty of churches to go serve that could have paid a salary for a young family going to seminary and doing all this other stuff. But I believe this is what God called me to do, is be here doing what he called me to do. So if I needed to work at a moving company to do that at night, then God bless, let's do it. Let's do it. If I had to deliver papers in the middle of the night in a hurricane, it's okay. God will take care. We're the pregnant wife who refused to stay at home. This is a real story. We're on possum trot delivering papers up near Piedmont in a blowing storm. And I just couldn't be more excited, not about the papers, but about the fact that I got to do what I got to do, that I get to be with people like this, you, Grace Fellowship, the shepherd's willing to lay down his life so you can eat the food that God has prepared for you and be safe. He doesn't do it for monetary compensation. He does it because God's called him to. But a wolf, a wolf does it to twist and pervert and take power over you and to take your stuff. Paul says, in all things I've shown you, that by working hard in this way, we keep, we help the weak and remember the words of our Lord, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So the wolves that come into the church are known for twisting the truth. They do this to lead the disciples in the direction of destruction. This is not always easy to see because the deception of teaching is usually really good, really, really close to the actual gospel. The teachers that are blatant in their false teaching, they're easy to see. But the elders are called to be alert to the wolves that are coming up from within their ranks and coming in from the outside with these twisted teachings. Paul writes this, describing false teachers to Timothy, his disciple. Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy 6. Teach and urge these things, talking to Timothy. 
one of the elders at Ephesus. Teach and, and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, twists the doctrine, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up and conceited. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, and constant friction among the people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. I'll just say, you come across a Bible teacher who's just constantly involved with controversy, constantly stirring up among the people things, little things. I mean, it might be little things, like the way people dress or the types of hairstyles they see, or they get off on uh, homeschooling is the only way you can ever have godly children, or whatever they're preaching that's one degree off. When they stir those things, they're behaving as false teachers. Whether they are or not is not proven yet, but you need to get to know them because it's dangerous, and it will lead to destruction. Now he goes on to say, imagining that godliness is a means to gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. This text that we quote so often about in general to people, and it is true for in general, it's in the context of pastors and elders who crave the monetary blessing that comes with watching over the flock. And when they do, they wander from the truth and they begin to pierce themselves with great pains. The evidence of our text in Acts, is that elders have to watch for wolves who pervert the truth, even on small teachings, and at little bits of time, and these false teachers are characterized by greed. Greed for power, greed for sex, greed for money. Those three are big in false teachers' lives. So how do we defend the flock from these wolves? Well, we can trust the protection that God provides through the word of grace. That's what he says, verses 31 and 32. You see it right there. He says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul says that he did not cease to teach and admonish them night and day with tears. He gave his whole self to it. His whole self. He was emotionally connected to the people. He had relationship with them as he taught them the word. And then he says that he's commending the elders of the church. He's making the speech to the elders. And by them to the, the whole church, he's saying, I commend you to what? To good shepherds who will be perfect and they'll help you be perfect. Is that what he commends them to? Does he say, you elders, you go home and you be, you, be, you be on it and you'll save the people? No. He says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. The thing that protects the flock against twisted teachers is the word of God. We will never be able to anticipate every false teacher that's going to rise up from among us or come in from the outside, but... We can train you so well in the gospel that you instinctively know that whatever they're saying is not true. 
you can at least raise a flag and say, I don't know where the problem is, but there's a problem right there. We need sheep that raise the flag and say, that's not the gospel. This guy right here, this woman right here, this child right here, that, that's not the gospel. Bleat out, please. Sound the alert. Let us know. And that happens because we train you in the word all the time. We have nothing else to offer you except the word of life given to us by the Lord and kept in this book. That's all we have. The focus of the elders on the word also makes it easy for us to refute false teachers. Dan Doriani says it this way, Ideally, leaders protect orthodoxy without becoming belligerent by meeting error with patient teaching. This is a truth found in Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy this time. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. We are protected by shepherds who teach us the word. And the word protects the people because it belongs to God. And the gospel is our help in time of need. The truth is, guarded by shepherds who meet error with patient teaching that corrects false teachers, encourages the flock to continue in the way of the gospel, God is protecting his people by putting you under the word of grace. That's God's word for you. There is no such thing as safe Christians living outside of church membership. You're not safe. You may be Christian, maybe, but you're not safe. You're in danger. Finally, we see in this text that he speaks a word about the bond that is created between a shepherd and his flock when he serves them. And then we see in verses 36 through 38, look at the deep affectionate bond that's created between the pastor and his flock. Paul had labored with these men for three years. He had taught them what it meant to be faithful. He had trained them in the word and in ministry. And along the way, they've become brothers in the Lord. In verse 36 through 38, we see the bond of love that exists between the shepherds of a church. Notice that Paul knelt down and prayed for them all as they wept together. And then they began to embrace. And then they began to kiss one another. Why? Being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. This is a tremendous word about the bond that's created by a team of pastors in a local church. I go to meetings all the time with pastors serving in churches without a plurality, and by and large, those men are beat down, they are haggard, they are worn, they are tired, they are near to failure. Why? Because they don't have this bond, this bond of brotherhood that keeps them safe. The elders have to be kept safe, too, and they're kept safe in the fellowship of other elders within a flock. Our elders' meetings often include weeping, laughter, I'm, well, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> Some of our elders are more gifted than others at one-liners. We're all training. Bruce has got it on lock. <laughs> Weeping, laughing, disagreement. If some of you stood outside in the hallway, maybe you have, you would hear us talking in an elders meeting and think they don't like each other very much. They disagree. 
and then forgiveness, and then hugging. We don't kiss because it's not culturally appropriate, but we have the sentiment in our heart that we would kiss one another if it was okay. And most of all, these meetings are characterized by love. Grace Fellowship is blessed with the same bond that you see happening right here between Paul and the Ephesian elders. We are blessed with that same bond. Man, I wish I could have seen this scene, don't you? <laughs> On the beach in Miletus, an aging Paul beat up, beat down, but not discouraged, standing with his most trusted men. And as he finishes his speech, he just hits his knees and begins to lift his hands in prayer in the Hebrew posture. I imagine his face extended towards heaven, his hands out on his knees, pleading with God on their behalf. And everyone weeping. Every one of these grown men weeping and crying with one another. And then as he stands and they help him to his feet, they embrace him. And they kiss him. And their tears mingle. Because they've willingly laid down their lives together. And they walk into the ship. It's a great send-off for a man that's given his whole life that God's church might thrive. Can you imagine the joy that welled up in his heart as he stood on the deck of that ship looking back at the beach as they fade into the distance? The love of God for these elders in the church was his greatest treasure on this earth. He said in Philippi, it's to your benefit that I live. I'd rather go be with Jesus, but I'm going to stay a little longer because there's more work to do. The church was his treasure. This is the way it should be for a pastor. It's not about power, position, money, recognition, popularity. For a real pastor, it's all about God being formed through Christ's spirit in you. And the word of his grace. This is what he lived for in his life. This is what we live for in this life. To see Christ gain all the glory in his church. As we close, I just want to say that one of our heroes went to be with the Lord. Not a hero of this church specifically, but R.C. Sproul just, just months ago, really. And, you know, they've written a book about him now, R.C. Sproul, A Life, and what a life it was, you know. But when they came to, when Stephen Nichols came to interview him, Stephen Nichols said in an interview I heard, he said, you know, Vesta and R.C. were there, and they were so kind to open their home. I was sitting with them, and we were talking, and he just was overwhelmed, like, Stephen, why are you doing this? He said, well, because people want to know about your life, R.C., why? Why? It's just been an ordinary life of loving God's church. That's all it is, an ordinary life. If you know anything about it, he stood as a giant in our generation for the truth. And yet, he never saw himself as anything but a sheep. Eating the word and giving the word. That's what it means to be an elder. It's about our lives. So we close out to praise God for his gift of shepherds. 
aren't you thankful that God has given this church shepherds from the very beginning to watch over the flock here at Grace Fellowship? And we're going to join together in a moment so we can pray together. But I want to ask Aaron Acker to come on up. And he's going to make a presentation to you because God's not only given us elders in the past, but he's giving us elders even now. And so, Aaron, I want to ask you to come and make this presentation and then close us with a benediction of prayer. You know, I was sharing with our home group Wednesday night, probably profusely so. I often go over the top about how much I love Grace Fellowship. But has God not entrusted us with something very, very special? I mean, thank you for that word. Thank you. Um, I am so excited about this. I'm very honored that I'm able to do this. But Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. We've been blessed here at Grace Fellowship with many men, but we have two more men who are godly and aspire to that office of elder, overseer, pastor. And so today we want to present them to you officially um, because we feel they have proved themselves to be faithful in the shepherding of the flock of God. First, Adam Swan joined our staff here in April of 2019. He's a man truly full of the Holy Spirit, a natural shepherd of the flock, a gifted teacher of the Word. And it's obvious to anybody that knows Adam that he loves God, he loves his family, he loves Grace Fellowship, and he loves the community he lives in. And on top of all that, Adam is one of the most gifted worship leaders and liturgy designers we have ever seen. But, just as what we were told incredulously when we were first meeting Adam, that's not his greatest asset. His greatest asset is not in music and worship skills, but in ministry and pastoring people. He has one of the purest, best hearts for God and his people that I have ever seen. We also have the privilege of presenting to you Corey, Corey Hughes, for affirmation as an elder. Corey began working with us in January 2020, and we know that you've all seen and felt the leadership and love that he brings to the church body. Corey is obviously very gifted in teaching and preaching the word, developing future pastors and leaders. He's passionate about home groups and about missions both near and far, and he's a true disciple maker. Corey, like Adam, has done the work of the ministry among us for a significant time with a lot of joy, a lot of passion, and a lot of excitement. I love that. And by far, he is my favorite young, restless, and reformed. 
Paul says in Titus chapter 1, this is why I left you at Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. We have examined and observed both Adam and Corey by the standard of Scripture and found them to be qualified as elders, as overseers, as pastors. You may have heard them called pastors before, but that was emphasizing what they were doing, what we saw them doing. They were pastoring. They've not been officially installed in that office yet here at Grace Fellowship. But we've seen them doing this, shepherding, overseeing, displaying spiritual maturity for at least 15 months. So we can now present them to you to be acknowledged as such in the office of pastor, overseer, elder. One more time, we see that as all one office. In other words, they've been in the game we feel they need the name. <laughs> and although both of them, both of them already been ordained into the ministry, we want them to have that distinction and office here at Grace Fellowship. So we're asking you, the members of Grace Fellowship, to consider the qualifications given in Titus chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Ask questions, bring forth concerns, and pray. Pray for the next two weeks over these men. Then on May 2nd, God willing, we will ask you, the members of Grace Fellowship, to participate in a vote of affirmation. God has so richly blessed us with them, and we are so very thankful. Praise be to him. I don't follow instructions well. <laughs> uh, let's pray. Holy Father, we do thank you for your gifts. And Lord, forgive us if we boast in them here at Grace Fellowship. But God, we're boasting in you. Because all that we have, all that we are, comes from your own hand, comes from your own heart, comes from your own word, by the power of your spirit. We have nothing else that is of any value. Uh, the vision, the blessings, the abundance, the fellowship, the leadership, all that you've given us is yours. And we commit that unto you and to your glory, 
to advance your word, your kingdom, your purposes here in this community and even to the ends of the earth. Lord, thank you so much for Adam and Corey. Thank you for sending them our way. We're so blessed to have Carlton on staff and now to add these. It's just beyond belief. But we thank you because we see them as gifts from you. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to examine them, examine all of us, that we might be found qualified, we might be found faithful, and we might finish the course that you've laid before us, both as individuals and as a people of God here at Grace Fellowship. We pray we be found faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.